Pod. Pod. Havlicek stole the pod, and Jason Tatum stole the skills competition. Chris, happy All-Star break. Hello. Happy All-Star break to you too, Bobby. How are you? Doing great. It's a big week in college, but a nice restful week in the NBA. And like I said, I was uh, All-Star weekend. I was excited to watch it, but at the same time, I'm also like, you know, I'd rather just have a Celtics game on, to be honest. You know, yeah. this stuff was exciting when I was a kid. It's it's still something I'll watch, but it just doesn't intrigue me the way it used to. I think I'd rather just watch the Seas go out there and play Milwaukee on Thursday. It's funny you say that. I was actually, when I was, I was watching the skills competition and the three-point contest and all that stuff on Saturday night, and my buddies and I were saying the same thing when we were in you know, elementary school and middle school. And maybe it's, it's probably still the same way with kids that age, but I was like entranced by all-star weekend, everything that went with it, whether it was a three point contest, dunk contest, the all-star game, I was so, so into it. And maybe it's just goes away with age, who knows, but I, I feel the same way. I wasn't as into it. I mean, I thought the dunk contest was a little bit of a... It, it wasn't great. The dunk contest has kind of lost its luster over the last couple of years. It hasn't really been great. But when I was younger, and the dunk contest would be on... I mean, NBA Live used to have their All-Star weekend that you could play in the game. And I remember playing that when I was in like elementary school and middle school. And it being so, so difficult. And so seeing people in real life complete the dunks, even though I couldn't complete them in video games, was kind of a nice... Nice little alternative. Well, the video game factor is huge. I think there's that individual fascination with the biggest stars in the game when you're that young. Totally. I mean, the, MO, the MOB All-Star game really did it for me when I was a kid, too. Like, there was never an inning of that that I would miss. Me, too. And even, that's, even that slid off a little bit for me at this point. And then I think we're so ingrained in it now. You know, we're watching every single night. We're seeing all these guys on TV, the highlights, everything else. Like, it's all just so available for that, that, that right in front of us. Yeah. And you know, there's these, they, they try to you know, create these storylines and these fun things through these events, and they try to give these guys personalities and character. Well, we're already doing that all online every single day anyway. So I think, you know, social media has pulled from it a little bit too, where, you know, what they're trying to do is something that we do already, probably better. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're pretty engraved. And, and, and I, I think you're right. I think social media has a lot to do with the change in perspective and the change about how people look at it. And, and for us and a lot of the people who probably listen to this and are all over NBA Twitter and watch every Celtics game, it's just simply more It's more intriguing to watch the Celtics play because they're deep in the game. And I think fans now, because everything is so accessible, are a little more knowledgeable and they're a little more into the actual game itself and the outside storylines. Of course, the outside storylines still push a lot of people, but I just yeah. think NBA fans now, with all the access that they have, are probably a little more knowledgeable in that draws people away from all-star Week. well i, I like that point on the outside storylines too because so much of the coverage at least on twitter was of these goofy side conversations the and drama, and yeah. Durant and the, if uh, i have to Paul hear if talking. i have to hear one more person talk about that stupid conversation that Kyrie and katie had in the hallway like oh my god what were they talking about i no one cares like no one cares like there was there any legitimate speculation that like was there any re- legitimate reason to believe that they were talking about free agency or anything like that if you think that they're going to talk about free agency in a stupid hallway with a camera rolling on them you've got another thing <laughs> coming you've got another thing coming you have no idea how the, how the NBA or professional sports work just people who are really diving into 
you know, trying to figure that video out and trying to pick it apart. Get a life. I can't. I It's so ridiculous. So I, I just want to tap on this. So Irving did play in the All-Star game. I thought the All-Star yeah. game was solid. Uh, I think I the o- only thing re- really worth touching on from the weekend, I didn't want to get too much into this, but it's worth touching on is the backdrop of our conversation here. Uh, Tatum's skills performance was phenomenal that was the highlight of the weekend for me i don't know it's pretty great i don't know what made him pull up from half court but what a great moment i've watched that over and over again that was pretty awesome that was pretty great and i mean technically now i think bill size said he's the most skilled player in the nba according to the award so there you go just like that and it, it didn't stun me that he won because of how grounded and skilled he is and yeah i think it surprises people he he's a shooter he's He's a played very great defense. Game. Yeah, he, game. like everything he does—the scoring, the flashiness—that's what people know him as. Like it's all yeah. rooted in amazing fundamentals. And when he played at Duke, that's what stuck out most to me. Is like his footwork was phenomenal. Yeah. He's playing in the post a lot. That's what concerned people. But, I mean, that was like the groundwork of the skills they would develop on top of that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons why when he came out, or at least was in the draft process. Everyone labeled him as the guy with probably the highest floor, uh, not necessarily the highest ceiling compared to some other potential candidates there. But everyone said, you know, this guy is going to be a guaranteed good player. Maybe, maybe a superstar, maybe not a superstar were all the draft projections, but it was pretty clear that he had the highest floor and he was going to be at least a solid player in the NBA. Now you hit on it and real quick, we won't stick around the all-star game too much. what do you think about Kyrie playing in the All-Star game, I know a lot of people were mad about that. What, what was your takeaway on that? Nah, I don't really care too much. I, I was surprised to see him out there, but at the same time, I mean, he just had like a few layup attempts and this and that. You're not playing a ton anyway in that game, yeah. so it doesn't bug me too much. Um, so today, we're going to talk about the storylines of the first half. And by first half, we're talking about 70% of the season. I just yeah. did the math on the calculator here, and we only have less than 30% of the season left to go. Crazy. And it's a it's hard... Crazy. Hard stretch for the Celtics coming up. And it's not like they haven't proven themselves in the big game so far, but there's still a little bit left for this team to accomplish. They can climb the standings. They can make that push for the one seed. It's going to be tough with the amount of games left. But, you know, things are coming together now, and I wanted to review the good, the bad, and the ugly from that first half because I'm feeling great about this team. Some people are still complaining about the cohesion and chemistry issues, and then some people are still stuck on... Those early season struggles, the first 20 games, they really were a disaster. So I'll let you start first, Chris. Are you going with something good or bad from the first half? I'll go with something good, but there was a little bad because he wasn't healthy the whole time. I think one of the things that stuck out to me, at least from the majority of the first half, more like 70%, like you said, of the season, was, was the importance of Al Horford. And really on both sides of the ball, but especially on the offensive side, I mean, Steve Kerr, I think, called him like the wheel that makes the Celtics I love that. Yeah, Yeah. that was one of my favorite quotes of the first half was Steve Kerr swooning about his importance to Boston. And and he's spot on. He's spot on. I mean, and in doing that, I think I think he revealed the fear of Golden State is that that guy is someone who matches up really well against us. Totally. And he does that. And I mean, you saw it against Philadelphia with Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid cannot. he, He puts Joel Embiid's mind in a pretzel. It's like. I, I'm not sure what it is about Embiid's game where he can't really adjust to Horford on the defensive side of the ball, but Horford seems to own the Sixers. I mean, when he's in against any opponent, he helps the Celtics space the floor so much, so much. And Aaron Baines is great too, but you just can't 
you can't space the floor as much as you can without Horford in there. Horford is a, a perimeter pick and roll threat, which is something you really don't see with a lot of bigs in the NBA right now, at least guys that play like he does. And so I think he opens up a lot of flexibility for Brad Stevens. And, and all you have to do is peek into the numbers and even some of the advanced stats. And their numbers with him on the court are immensely better without him. I think he's becoming one of the more interesting players in NBA history. And maybe, I don't know about his Hall of Fame status, and I don't want to get into that discussion, but the way he's transformed his game over the years to become one of the more versatile, positionless phenoms in this league really like he's just a phenomenal center who transcends the position the way he shoots the positions he plays on the floor the picks he sets like he's just a basketball enthusiast dream the way that he transforms the game from his position and then the dichotomy there is that the stats don't blow you away numbers wise and that becomes a little bit of a division there but in year three in boston now i really don't think there's much of a horford debate anymore you have some of these people throwing out these hot takes about him but as far as al needs to step up which was sort of the middle ground in that conversation before you don't hear too much of that and i think there's a full awareness to what his value is to this team at this point especially after two monster playoff runs and again the Embiid factor the fact that Embiid just presses into him every single game and isn't able to do too much yeah and then you you put him on the floor against a team like the bucks and I still don't really like the way the Bucks match up against the Celtics, and, and Horford is a big part and of that. And we'll I see mean, that on Thursday. We'll see that on Thursday, and I mean, adding Miritich really helps them space the floor. They could probably space the floor as well as any team in the league, but I just don't like the way they match up. I mean, a, a guy like a guy like Miritich is someone they can target on the on the uh, offensive side, and I, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, I, I still think the Bucks are the best team in the East, but uh, Al's, a, Al's an important factor, and I think that was just a major, major major part of this first 70% of the season. So, Bobby, what what are you looking at here? What's your first note? So I am thrilled with the first half Marcus Smart had. And he was brilliant in the ways he usually is defensively. He's right in line with his career averages and all that. And he's been the guy who takes charges, the guy who steals a percentage of blocks above any previous year in his career. But then you look at the offensive side of the ball. And his offensive rating, Chris, 113. And that's just one of like the many stats that you can look at and say, this guy has evolved as an offensive player. He's finishing yeah. at the rim better than he has ever has before. And, you know, it took me a little while to get to it, but we all know what the real story is when it comes to him this year. He's drilling threes like crazy. 36%. And it's 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 the thirty six percent, but it's also how many games has he had three or four threes in? Right, right. Like I remember the Dallas one where he, he was just splashing one after another. He had a huge stretch in that game, and he has backed up his vocal leadership on the sideline with his play, which is important. If you're going to be a leader on a team, you can't just be spouting words. You got to be bringing it on the court as well. And he's been a tone setter in that sense. Him and Irving mesh so well together. He gets Irving off the ball a little bit, yeah. and. You know, I think the story here is they start him on that New Orleans game after the 10 and 10 start, and they have been winning so many games ever since. I think it's like 28 out of 39 or something like that since they started him. So yeah, I mean, his, that's a his, turning point in the season right there, starting him and his involvement. And I, I worry about what this team becomes if they don't re-sign him. Yeah, I mean, you think about his value, right? People questioned. His four year was it four years fifty two million this summer? Yeah, people really question that a lot. 
because he was a game changer on the defensive side of the ball. Everyone knew that. Probably one of the best defenders, perimeter defenders at least, in the entire league. But he was also one of the worst three-point shooters in the entire league. I mean, he was he was a horrible volume shooter, and that was just what it is. But the fact of the matter is, like you said, he's shooting 36% now. He's a solid, solid pairing, excuse me, pairing with Kyrie Irving. He can get him off the ball. And I mean, his value now is is spot on. And people who were questioning that four years, $52 million deal are silenced right away. But I think they're silenced in a different regard because a lot of people were looking at that deal saying, yeah, for the Celtics, it probably is worth it because of what he does for them in a leadership category and on defense. But now it's all around and he's been really, really great. And he has helped step up on the offensive side, especially since Terry Rozier hasn't been as consistent. And so I think that is a major factor. The fact that he's been able to be as impactful on offense as he has since Terry Rozier has been fine, but a little inconsistent, not always there. And he, he was the consistent voice of the team during those yep. struggles. He was calling guys out left and right, the team's ability to hunt down its opponents versus being hunted. He had a lot of great quotes early in the season when he was pretty much the you know gospel in the locker room after all these terrible losses, the Knicks, the Jazz, the Magic. He was the one rallying the troops every single time. It only made sense that they would turn to him in the starting lineup after that. But from a basketball perspective, it works so well as as well. That's really the story of the season for me right now is the fact that, you know, Smart just wasn't huge coming back. He was meant to be a starter on this team. When we were all thinking about that five-man lineup, the Hayward and Brown lineup with all the wings and small ball you know, that ultimately wasn't what this team needed. They needed these glue guys, these meshing talents like Smart to get in there and mesh everything together. And that's yeah. ultimately what they've done. Them, They've been a good team since, despite some slip-ups. So what's your second big story of the first half? So my second would probably be, probably just be the Gordon Hayward Chronicles because it's been a roller coaster with him. I mean, you've got these games against the – the Timberwolves in the middle of the first yeah, half the of the season. Yeah, he's the best player ever, to, ever the to play against the Timberwolves. First ballot Hall of Famer against the Timberwolves. I mean, he's just unbelievable. And then you get games against, you know, like the Warriors and the Lakers when he's just not a factor. He just kind of disappears. And I think a lot of that obviously comes with his recovery. But I think the expectations of his recovery might have been a little high going into the season. There was a lot of us that said, you know, mark the All-Star break for the turn and and granted, he was kind of on that trajectory, but the market in Boston is is full of pressure. So there was a lot of people, you know, waving red flags when he wasn't producing. Um, and I just think people didn't like the fact that or were were worried about the fact that his progression wasn't as visible and as, um, as quick, I want to say, as people wanted. But the last 10 games, I mean, he's been pretty great. He's, he's shooting 44, 45%, I think, from three. He's uh, inside, I think he's at close to 70% around the rim. So the progression is there. I mean, he's looked pretty good. And, and I don't think his lows were as low as everyone really thought or a lot of people on Twitter and in Celtics forums, whatever, were kind of badgering about. But I do think that if they can manage to get you know, even part of what Hayward has been over the last seven to 10 games, it's going to make them a totally, totally different team. I kind of see him as an X factor going forward. And in that regard, I think it makes his progression and his first portion of this season pre all-star break uh, a pretty, a pretty major storyline for this team. 
Well, the taste in our mouth right now to leave the All-Star break is that performance he had against Philly, drilling three after three, and he yeah. was assertive, dominant in that game. And now in February, I think he's 14 points a game, so he's built on that scoring average month after month. I mean, think There's about, what, the, think about what that play does for this team, right? Like the oh, options yeah, that that opens up, right? Yeah, and they, they need to have a balanced perspective on this because Agreed. I don't know if he'll ever get back to the Hayward that was especially this season, and it doesn't seem like he will this season at the with at the rate he's gone. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, they need to, him to be as, as best as he can possibly be. Now, a lot of people, he became the scapegoat of the early struggles, and he did struggle throughout that stretch, and he still has games where he's no-show, and that Warriors one sticks out to me in particular. He had a really tough time in that game that yeah. they lost him a couple weeks ago. So there's balance on both sides here. I mean, he, him... Being a thirty million dollar player comes with thirty million dollar expectations. Even though what happened to him was terrible and it's tough to come back from, and all the rest. At the same time, he's made strides, leaps and bounds, and outside of scoring and shooting, which are numbers that have drawn back for him, I think he's been involved and active in that sense. Moving him to the bench didn't play as big of a role as Smart moving into the starters, but him assuming that role where he could be that facilitating force with the bench unit, uh, move the ball around with them, and use those secondary skills alongside scoring with him really helped ease him back into things. Now, he's going to be someone to watch going forward, but I don't think he was the face of the disappointment that the team faced in the first half. I'll give that to my number two story, and that's Terry Roger. Someone that our Slack group's been frustrated with for a lot of <laughs> quite, this year. Quite a bit, quite a bit. I mean, the, the terrible tone to open the season was the whole Jabari Bird incident, but shortly after that, his displeasure with his role and the rumors that he wanted to get out of here and his disinvolvement in certain games and just his odd approach to the games in those limited minutes that he was playing, it was a tough situation for him. But even as he's made improvements and he's backed off some of that noise and the, the chemistry issues with the team have come together since, he'll still have empty performances. He still doesn't seem to be the same guy he is when he starts. And the team ultimately kept him around at the trade deadline. He's probably more valuable here than anything they could have replaced him with. But he's yeah. going to be an important piece going forward. I mean, he gets a lot of minutes off the bench. Um, he, he'll have a lot of ball time off the bench in many cases. And if Irving's healthy and good to go in the playoffs, he's going to have to make the most of that bench role. I mean, we'll all love it if he gets a spot start here and makes the most of it with 20, 26 points, and he's done that. But, yeah. I, I mean, he's been the guy you look at on this team and say he's got to do a little bit more. Yeah, and I think consistency is one of the biggest parts there, right? Like, he's been pretty consistent as a starter for the most part. I mean, he's gotten those spot starts for Kyrie, and he's put up 25-point games, 27-point games, a couple double-doubles, and he's been great. But off the bench, he's been really inconsistent. In the beginning of the year, like you said, his shot selection was horrific. His defensive effort wasn't really there. It just didn't really appear to be the same Terry that we were getting in the playoffs. And it's not like you're asking for the same kind of production, but more so just the effort. And that didn't even appear to be there. It improved over the course of this first 70% of the season, but it's still not all there in the consistency department. So if you can get him to be consistent off the bench and a reliable guy to come in and run the offense and produce and, you know, take good shots and make good passes and go back to his old ways of not really turning the ball over. I mean, that would be great. His, his defensive rating was in the top five in the NBA for a large portion 
right off the bat of the season, and then it just disappeared. He, I don't even know where he is right now. But That's what concerns me, too, because he's always been a defensive presence. Exactly, and, and it was the case off the bat, and then it just disappeared. So I, I don't know, but again, I agree with you. That's something to, that's something to monitor here. And t- Speaking of defensive presences, my third and final note for the first half of the season isn't the most impactful, but he is impactful on the defensive side of the ball. It's got to be Time Lord, Robert Williams. I mean, this guy... Saved the like, best for took on took on a life of his own, right? In terms of being a Twitter hero, he was the, the Time Lord nickname was everywhere. We had Rachel Nichols saying on the jump, like it was amazing, and he actually did come in and play some pretty good minutes. Like you look at that Miami game, he spurs a 16-0 run when he comes off the bench. He's great as a rim roller. He blocks basically everything on the court. Obviously, he's still pretty raw. He's a rookie, but I think. Kind of getting a nice glimpse at a lot of his athleticism and shot blocking ability. Him being an effective rim roller. If he can just kind of sharpen up, um, you know, figuring out some pick and rolls. And and he kind of looks lost a little bit in some pick and roll sets on the defensive side. So that's something to really work on. He still has plenty to work on. But again, he's a rookie and he's going to learn under Al Horford and it's great. But I think just the whole mantra of Time Lord and people begging on Twitter for Robert Williams to get in the game. That was a huge storyline. I mean, that took over a large portion of, of this season so far. The center position on this team has been really intriguing because that yeah. stretch you talked about where he was playing and making an impact was when Horford went down. And right. they ultimately had a rough time for through the later part of that stretch. But that initial game where he came in against New Orleans and was guarding Davis and he blocked him twice, I believe, that was yep. one of the more electrifying moments of that first half. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it brings us back to those... Isaiah days where there was young guys proving their point and yep. just hustling up and down the court. Now he had his rough patches too. He had games totally. where he was big minuses and he's he's been inexplicably out of a lot of games with just these random injuries. So yeah. that's a little bit concerning too. But you know he's been fun to monitor this year and it's encouraging to have him here because the long term center position on this team is a question like yeah. i see that ginormous rap on horford's knee every day to go back to that story horford's impact and it just scares the hell out of me because if that knee ever gave out i think this team's cooked and you I know williams so, development yeah. is going to be a <laughs> williams development is going to be a big part of how they sustain that long term if they can't get davis which is a whole nother discussion if entirely. they do go get davis though don't be surprised if robert williams is in that deal i mean if you're in New yeah, Orleans, sure. you, you see a, a raw athletic center like this, still on a rookie deal, you go you go and you get him. You ask for him to be thrown in, so don't be surprised. But let's wrap up with your uh, with your third and final storyline. It's Kyrie, who Shocker. deserves to Shocker. be among the MVP candidates this year. And we talk about the leaps and bounds Smart made. Irving's been a phenomenal defensive player this year, and I never thought he could become a defensive player with that level of consistency when he played for Cleveland. I didn't know if he could be a cornerstone player for a championship contender, but he he has proved both of those things this year. He's been active in the assist game. He dished out 13 assists in that epic comeback against Memphis. We yeah. all remember the Toronto performance he had where he just nailed shot after shot in the final sequence. That was still sequence. my favorite and, game so far this season. That game was Oh, incredible. what a great game that was. And the three hit with Kawhi yep. in his face, steps behind the three-point line, the ice the game there. Crazy. One of Irving's all-time performances, and he has done it again and again this year. I'll also say this. There's been a, a lot of drama with him off the court. Questions. That's taken on a life of his own. The Knicks thing. Will he stay in Boston? I still think it's important that he started the year 
pledging his allegiance to the team. And, you know, people have asked him if he's going back on it. It's taken on a whole new life of its own since. But that assuredness that it still stands until he goes back on it officially, that was important for this team because it, it gave management some assurance. I'm sure it gave his teammates some assurance. And it yeah. set a nice tone as things were getting a little chaotic early on there. Yeah, I mean, imagine imagine they went through those struggles as they did early on in the season, but you also had that hanging over. Yeah, that, that would have been brutal. That would have been an. And absolute... it's it's brutal that it's still, despite that, has become a conversation. Yeah. And you know what even sparked the, this latest round of things with him? Like it's all just so hard to follow at this point because literally game after game after game, somehow the story becomes is Irving sticking around here. And that's another thing, you got to enjoy what the guy's doing. Even yeah. if he leaves, and, and even it if really it causes sucks. a firestorm, you got to enjoy this. I mean, after that Raptors game, after one of the Raptors games, he had one of the best. I've never seen him. It was the best game I've seen Kyrie play live in my life. And he goes back in the locker room and he talks about LeBron. And then there's not a single article about his performance against Toronto. We, cause, and, and rightfully so. We all have to write about him talking about LeBron and all that stuff. But it's really unfortunate because... You do have to. Yeah, and he does bring some doing. of it on himself. To be oh, he fair. totally does. I agree. And but his play is just absurd. I mean, twenty three point six, twenty three point seven points a game. I think he's averaging seven assists a game, five rebounds a game. Like he's doing it all. His his effort on the defensive side of the ball is the best it's been in his career. His all around game is really coming into form. And people forget he's only twenty six years old. I mean, he's he's hit, still hitting his stride. So I agree. But more so than anything, I think we should focus on his play. Like you said, during that first portion of the season, his play is just out of control, just absolutely ridiculous. He's he's incredible to watch, and I and I wish that was really the focal point of, of where everyone's focus fell. And this team is still in a good place, considering their 10-10 and 10 start. They've won huge games over Toronto. Philadelphia, they've swept at this point, despite all that Philly's done to try to match them. Uh, Indiana is out of the picture, and we've talked about what a sad situation that is, but it's, you know, it is what it is. And all of a sudden, now that they have two big wins over Toronto, I, I think as we head into the second half, you got to talk about this team being the favorite in the East again. I don't know if they'll get the one seed in the East, but I think from my perspective that they've done enough to sh- show that they can win the East and that they should be considered the favorite still, despite the additions that have gone on around them. I mean, this team they've had slip-ups those LA losses were tough to watch and we talked about it on here but the greater majority of what they've done has just been taking care of business against bad teams and there are a lot of bad teams in the east that you have to do that against night in and night out and they've had the massive victories over their competition and they'll get another chance to on Thursday how do you feel about this team's outlook I mean I, I think I think they're shaping up well I still don't believe in the Sixers I still think this especially against the Celtics say the Sixers get stuck playing the Celtics in a playoff series, I don't think they stand a chance. I really don't. Even with the Tobias Harris addition, I just don't see it. I think the Bucks are probably the best team on the best the most talented team, the best team in the East right now. But again, like I said before, I don't really like the way they match up with the Celtics. I think Toronto would probably uh have, you know, the best chance to beat the Celtics in a seven game series. Do you think you really think Indiana's just gone? Because they've been Still pretty good since Oladipo's gone down. I mean, they sit in third right now. They won six in a row before losing their last game before the All Star break to Milwaukee. Do you think they'll? You think they'll just fade away? 
Yeah, I still, and I haven't watched a ton of them since Oladipo went down. They're still the three seed, but yeah. come playoff time, you're going to need somebody to lean on, and I don't think they yeah. have it. That's fair. That's fair. But either way, I mean, you got Gordon Hayward kind of coming into form in the last seven to ten games. If he can really step up, eh, it opens a lot of flexibility for this team. I really like the way they're shaping up. And I, and I think it's just, you know, I, I trust the Celtics lineup much more than I trust Phillies. And matchup-wise, I think they match up pretty well against the Bucks. So that's kind of where I stand. Real quick, who you want to see in the first round this standing start to take? Oh, man. I don't know. I definitely don't want to see Brooklyn. Mm, uh, I, now, see, I think that would be a fun series. Oh, it would be great. I would love entertainment wise. It'd be great, but I think they would be a real, they would be a real tough out. I think they're, I think they're real chippy and they're real good. So say, all right. So if we're talking about easy, I go Charlotte. Yeah, I was gonna say, say the Celtics get the three seed. I think you pray that Charlotte finds their way into the six seed and you get Charlotte. I think Charlotte or Detroit would be ideal. Now, see, I don't want to see Detroit because I think that's just scrappy grindy basketball that i don't want to watch i would rather see detroit than if orlando were to you know orlando's playing some really good basketball i'd rather see detroit (laughs) now orlando Orlando. beats the celtics every time at least this year (laughs) seriously that's seriously that's right yeah so i don't know i mean it'll be interesting but i think we're on the same page with charlotte would be would be ideal I, i have no issue with the celtics facing them well, going into Thursday, it's Boston and Philly, 37 and 21 at that four-five spot, yep. and Boston's just a game behind Indiana for that three slot, and then it's the Raptors and Bucks above them. Celtics get the Bucks on Thursday. That's an 8 p.m. tip, and our break is just about over. So, Chris, hope you got some rest during it. It's back to work time for you, and uh, I'll be going to see Duke Syracuse on Saturday. Dude, so enjoy the week, enjoy everybody. That.